do when reading scripture, asking detailed observation questions. Here's, here's big questions. What is here and what is not here? You got it? All right, here we go. I did not see a temple in the city. Now, what city is he talking about? He's talking about the new Jerusalem. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it, on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does not, sorry, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. They will know there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Lord, open our eyes and ears to your word and help us to follow you. In Jesus name. Amen. So what's not present in the city of Jerusalem? The New Jerusalem. Uh, three main things. There are some other minor things as well, but the three main things are the temple, the sun and the moon, and oddly, night. <laughs> How is that possible? The temple. Why? Well, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple is the explanation. The glory of God used to fill the temple on the earth, didn't it? You know, in Exodus chapter 40, God commanded them to build the tabernacle, Moses and his people, and they built the tabernacle. And when they were finished, the glory of God descended and filled the tabernacle, so much so they couldn't enter into it. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon had finished constructing the temple with all his men, the priests could not perform their service in the temple because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. There's no need for a temple in the New Jerusalem because God has descended and he brings his presence. All of heaven, which is God's presence, descended upon the earth. There's no mediating place between God and man anymore. The temple is that mediating place. The temple represents the, the joint of heaven and earth. But no longer is that the case because God is fully present and we are fully with God. Now, there's no sun and moon. Now, you could try to figure out all the ins and outs of how this would work physically. Um, but I don't think that's the point. This is not a science lesson, all right? This is apocalyptic literature. He's seen a vision. 
We don't have to take this actually literally. So what's he saying? There's no sun and moon. Why? For the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. In other words, there's always light. Now, I don't know about you and me, but I enjoy when the sun goes down. I enjoy the nighttime when it gets cooler, especially in the summer, not so much the winter. But sometimes there is beauty in the night, isn't there? And so that could be a big bummer. The people read this, oh man, there's not going to be night in heaven. And again, I don't think we need to read that literally. No sun or moon, no night. Um, and then immediately follows this, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I think this has to do with the night. The light of God is the life of men. The night is the darkness of men. The evil, the corruption. There will be no more night. There will be no more evil, no more sadness, no more darkness. This is what's going on here. God is present. There's no need for the things of this world that give us light because God is the light and there's no more evil and darkness. I think that's what's going on here. So what is here? That's what's not present. What is present? God, the Lamb, the light. We already hit that. Here's another one. The river of the water of life. Don't you know there was a river in the Garden of Eden? There are actually a few rivers. But Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, it says, A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. And then if we look at the river that brought the life to Israel, what river is that? It starts with a J, the Jordan River. There's a river of water of life, and there's the tree of life, which unlike other trees that we know, which yields its fruit every year. Now, there's, there may be some trees in the tropics that yield fruit very often. This tree of life yields its fruit every single month. Month after month, providing an abundance of food. And its leaves are for the healing of the nations. Now in the Garden of Eden, when the humans were exiled from the garden, they were removed from God's presence. They were ordered before they were moved, not to eat from the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and God said, we must get them out of here lest they eat from the tree of life. And I think that means this, lest they are in this sinful state, separated from me, and eat the, from the tree of life and live forever in the state of separation, a.k.a. hell. By his grace, he exiled them. And they were not able to eat from this tree. We could not access it. We had no right to be there. And for some reason, well, I know the reason. When God restores all things, he welcomes us into his presence, into this, water, this river of water of life, and into the tree of life where we must partake. It brings healing to us this time. 
So the tree of life is not only present, but it's available. It's not off limits. There's no parameters. Now, kids have all sorts of boundaries. You got to put your boundaries around kids. Even adults, they don't need boundaries set for them. Mature adults set their own boundaries. You want to see what chaos looks like in in adulthood? Find an adult who doesn't have any boundaries. It's very difficult to be around people with no boundaries. Boundaries are life-giving, not life-taking. Mature adults have fewer boundaries than kids, but they follow those boundaries. But in the presence of God, there are no boundaries needed. Why? Because he rules perfectly. He provides all that we need. What is present is ours. And there's no fear of death. There's no fear of pain. There's no fear of suffering. There's no fear of evil. Everything is good. When everything's good, there's no boundaries. Isn't that amazing? I look forward to that. God is present, and it is only his light that gives light to the world. So here we go back to this. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp, nor the light or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, light's a major theme in Scripture. You could probably list off a bunch if we took some time to do that, but I'll already do it for you. Here's light in Scripture. In creation, the first thing that was created is light. Let there be light, and there was. It's done. Light brings order and life to the world. There is Day and there was night. He separated the night from the day. The light from darkness. He brought order. In Isaiah, we see that light is the description of the Messiah. You know this great Advent verse? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. There's hope. There's someone coming. Isaiah 51.4, my justice will become a light to the nations. Brings guidance. Isaiah 60 verse 3, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. It's all pointing to the Messiah, the Christ who is coming to us. And of course, the Messiah does come to us. Jesus takes on human flesh and dwells among us. In John chapter 8, when Jesus was speaking to the people, he said... I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Does it sound like Jesus is pointing to the new Jerusalem? Yes, but it's also the reality that he's pointing right now to himself. Salvation is today. You may have the kingdom of God within you today if Christ is king. And then Jesus said to his disciples, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Then the next thing he says to his disciples, later on, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the light of the world. Now, Jesus, I thought you were the light of the world. Yes, but you are the light of the world. What happens when you have a lamp, not an electric lamp, but a lamp, a lantern with a flame, and you're to take that flame 
and move it to another lantern. How many flames do you have now? One plus one is two. Is it the same flame? Yes. Two different locations. Jesus is the light of the world, and when he says, I want to light you on fire or light you up, you light up. And you're on display. It's not your light. It's his light. So Jesus is the light of the world. And then he says, you, my disciples, are the light of the world. I'm transferring my light to you. You are a city on a hill. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then we go on to the good news of the kingdom of God. The very next verse. So you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. It's a great song, isn't it? Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. We don't hide this light. We let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. It's good news for all people of all nations, of all generations. The light of God. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So God's light in us reveals God to the world. It's not just one light, it's many lights in his people. Jesus says, you're the light of the world because I dwell in you. And then we also see that light is the way of Jesus. First John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I encourage you, brothers and sisters, walk in the light. And in doing so, you love one another. You have fellowship together. You're restored to God and restored to each other and you bring light and life to the world. So that's the light theme in Scripture. What is the physical necessity of light? Do you know it? Do you think you could get around in life without electricity? We just turn on the light in the morning. Or if you don't have a light, if your lights go out, you just flip on your iPhone and your iPhone has a light on it. If you don't have any light, you stumble around. Light helps us to see. Light helps us to understand the world around us. If the sun did not shine as brightly as it does, we wouldn't understand the world around us. We couldn't live. Light provides warmth. There's nothing better than when you're cold to go out in the sun, or when you're depressed, to go out in the sun. At the same time, the light could be so warm, it becomes hot, you have to get some shelter from it. Light provides life to the world. Plants and animals and humans, we all need it, don't we? It provides human flourishing. And then it provides direction. Think about when you approach a traffic stop. There's red lights and there's green lights, and the lights show you what to do. 
I can't think of another way to tell people what to do at a traffic stop than lights. Sometimes people obey them, sometimes they don't. When people traveled and didn't know which direction was which, they looked up at the stars and they found the North Star and they headed north. Or they found their way and they said, north is this place, so we have to go east or west or south. The lights provide direction. And if this is the physical necessity of light, what is the spiritual necessity of light? Isn't it the exact same thing? I could probably add these lists, but four is enough. The spiritual necessity of light, we see and we understand because Christ lives in us. First, sorry, John chapter one, verse four. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. Which tells us this about humanity. Just because there is a light doesn't mean that we will understand it. Just because people hear about Jesus doesn't mean they're going to receive it, receive him. But it is a necessity. Do you understand that Christ came to you to show you the way and to give you life? Do you see it? And if not, you're lost. Light provides warmth, and I view this in relational wholeness. When you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with one another. There's a great warmth there to be in fellowship with fellow believers, to be in fellowship with your family. To be on the same path. Light provides life. It's a major theme in scripture. Also, it's a major theme in various novels throughout history. Light is life. Dark is death. Light is good. Dark is evil. And then the light provides direction for us, spiritual direction. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen. Lord, you show us where to go through your word. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus is transfigured before the disciples up on the high mountain. And as he's transfigured, they see a bright light and they see Jesus as he is. And then the light goes away. He says, let's go down the mountain. And I don't think people could follow Jesus to the cross, this this way of giving your life, laying your life down for another, unless they knew that Jesus was the light of life himself. Jesus gives us direction. On the resurrection, the day of resurrection happened in the morning as the sun was coming up. There was new light, there was new life. When Paul was on his way to Damascus, Jesus appeared and a light blinded him. It was Jesus himself. And he gave him a new direction in life. It transformed him. The spiritual necessity of light 
gives us hope for the world. This light is reproducible, like fire that spreads and moves. This light extends, it gives light to the whole household. We physically need light, yet we also spiritually need light. And so in this new Jerusalem, when God comes and he is the light, and there is no night, there is no darkness at all, it shows us there is a complete triumph over evil when Christ comes. Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. Chaos, suffering, broken relationships, dishonesty. All these things are gone. Don't you hate it when people live dishonestly? It rips families apart. It rips communities apart. I've seen it happen. All the lies, all the spinning of stories, all the things that are hidden, the deceitful patterns upon which people live, these unconfessed sins, it's evil. And here comes God, he triumphs over all of it, and he lays everything bare. Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all of creation can be hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Who can escape the coming of the Lord? No one. And so the coming of Christ brings light to all men. We can receive it or reject it, but when it comes and we receive it, we are able to confess our sins. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Everything is made whole. In Michigan, if there's no night, then there's no all these things. When we have this, we have arrived home. I want to tell you a story. In Michigan, there's obviously lakes surrounding Michigan. Um, Ships, you know, for for a long period of time, ships would sail, and they still do sail. I've seen them. They'd sail from the Atlantic Ocean to the St. Lawrence River, through the Great Lakes, and they'd have to, the only way to get to Chicago, a huge port city, is they have to go through the Straits of Mackinac. And if you've ever been to Mackinac Bridge, it's a pretty, pretty neat site. Beautiful area. Area that I visited often. And I love it for its beauty. Um, anyway, my family, Brianna's family, would vacations in Crockett Village right here. And you can see about three lighthouses, maybe four. And they're beautiful, even from a distance. And of course, these ships that sail need the lighthouses to navigate, especially in days before all the technology. All they would have is light. In the storm, in the darkness, in the fog, all they had is light. And so there's, I was told by a guy who lives in Cross Village that there was a man who was on these ships he lived his whole life working for the shipping company and he enjoyed the lighthouses so much that he would 
when he said, I'm going to re- when I retire, I'm going to buy land right here so that I can see all these lighthouses that have kept me safe all these years. In a ways, it was a home for him. We have the uh, Wagashant Shoal Lighthouse. The Gray's Reef Lighthouse. This is a fun one. Skilligalee. Can you say that fast? Skilligalee. On an island. The reason why these lighthouses are here, there's shoals, which is like a sandbar. There's rocky shoreline. There's shallow waters. And this area is very treacherous for boats to go through. And so this man who worked on these ships retired and he bought land and he made his home on the shores of Lake Michigan where he could see the lights that guided him home safely. And I want to tell you that we no longer have to make our home in order to see the light when God comes. We often live like that man. We make our home in a way to see the light, to feel safe, to look at the things in our life that brought us meaning and significance and brought us truth. But when the new Jerusalem comes, we no longer have to make our home in order to see the light. Instead, God makes his home with us and he gives us the light and life we've always wanted and we've always needed. Don't you look forward to being home? instead of creating a home. Psalm 56, 13 says, For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. That's what God has done now. We can walk in this world before God in the light of life because we've been delivered from death because Christ is risen. But here's what's coming. But in keeping with the promise We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So God, thank you for bringing us home. You dwell in us. We are at home with you. But Lord, you're bringing us to a place where we don't create for ourselves, but you've created it for us. And you've expelled all things that are not of you. And all we have is you, the light that you bring, the life that you give. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to enter into our time of communion. Someone want to the kids.